Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. I'm joined today by Sean Karen Cross, CEO of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, who was sworn in June 24, 2019. As CEO, Mr. Karen Cross leads the agency and provides strategic direction and vision as MCC fulfills its mission of reducing poverty through economic growth and advancing America's interests around the globe. Mr. Karen Cross also participated in a public event we hosted on August 14th here at CSIS. Please check out our webpage to watch the video of that event. So, Sean, congratulations on being confirmed. It's great. We're glad to have a Senate-confirmed leader at the MCC. You're the president and CEO. You've had a very busy six or almost eight weeks now. So you were in Cote d'Ivoire recently. Talk about Cote d'Ivoire and what did you see there and the compact. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you. I'm thrilled to be starting as CEO. It's an honor to be nominated by President Trump, and it's a great agency to lead with a tremendous staff. We were just in Cote d'Ivoire. We were in Abidjan to start the entry into force of the compact there, and that's the five-year clock. So all our projects, we have to finish on time, on budget in five years, and we're doing a major infrastructure project in the port. There's an aquaba, is the roundabout. I think the port was built originally in the 60s, and the metric tons that the port took in was an order of magnitude far less than it is today. And now it's just jam-packed. People can't get in and out. You can't get goods in from outside of Abidjan or neighboring countries use the port of Abidjan for shipping as well and transport. So relieving congestion there is going to have a tremendous impact on the economy, not only in Cote d'Ivoire, but regionally. And we're also doing an education program there. So we're setting up secondary education for young women. We're engaged in a technical and vocational training program. And the design there is to match the needs of the training to the needs of the private sector in Cote d'Ivoire. Because part of what MCC is trying to do everywhere is build sustainable economies. And in order to do that, you have to have private capital willing to come in and invest and build out. And to meet that skills gap that Cote d'Ivoire has currently, that's what we're targeting in this compact. So we're very excited about it. And the government was thrilled to have us there. They've done great work on their scorecards to become eligible for the project. And I think it'll be a great partnership. What are your priorities for the rest of the year? I think the first thing is we were given new authority by Congress last year to engage in regional compacts, which are cross-border compacts designed to build a regional economy. And we're taking a look at how we're going about developing those and who we're going to partner with. Last year, we selected five West African countries to begin that development process with, and we're looking at projects moving forward. So we're in the midst of that. And what's important to us is that the same sort of rigor and transparency and data-driven approach that's guided all our compacts in the past and has made MCC such a successful model for development holds in our regional. So that's a large priority that we're dealing with right now. Are you thinking about any regions in particular? In particular, it's West Africa. And when we started off looking at these regional compacts, we want to make sure that that continues We're taking a look at countries where we already had an existing compact. 
countries with contiguous borders, same sector MCAs, which are the entities that are set up in the countries to run those projects because they're homegrown and country led by design in order to make sure that the first concurrent compact and regional investment is successful and that we set a good standard right out of the gate. So West Africa is where we are right now and we're focused for regionals and that's where we'll be for the future. Can you talk about your impression of the staff and the teams? And Look, I think it's the most talented staff in the U.S. government. It's a small agency. It's roughly 350 people. But everybody there is there because they want to be there. It's a very highly educated group. I don't know the number of PhDs that we have in development, but it's high. It's a sharp group. They've been foreign service officers. They've served in the Peace Corps. They've served at AID or state. They've been in the private sector. We have an infrastructure person who led global infrastructure development for Bechtel, which is a giant global infrastructure firm. And he now runs that for us. So it's an extremely talented, motivated group. And the best thing I can say about it is there's no battle or argument internally about turf or the usual sort of bureaucratic thing that you may find elsewhere, people are invested in their ideas. And there's a constant conversation on the ideas related to development. And that's a great place to be. You can have invigorating, exciting conversations to be a part of. So I'm just thrilled to be there. When someone says the MCC model, what does that mean? So the agency has a singular focus, which is reducing poverty through economic growth. And in order to do that, we are careful with who we work with. We only work with countries on a need and merit basis. So you have to qualify on a subjective level on lower income or lower middle income based on World Bank per capita GDP. And then merit based on our scorecards, which are independently monitored criteria having to do with good governance, economic freedom, and investment in their people by our partner countries. And so if they meet the need and they meet that merit and our board of directors decides that we are going to work with them, then we engage in a very rigorous process of determining what the constraints on economic growth are. And those constraints can run from institutional and corruption reform and institutional reform, but all the way through the infrastructure needs and the gaps to economic growth in that country. And it's country-led. So the country has to develop that project in conjunction with us. They have to set up an organization internally. They have to have a board of directors. They run it. And it's an open procurement, open bid, transparent process. And so it's a knowledge transfer on our behalf, on the United States' behalf. And this is how you run a sustainable project that is moving your country towards self-determination and sustainability. And that's the model. It's an objective. The data takes us where the data takes us. And we've designed these to be as sustainable as possible. Talk about the MCC effect. So the MCC effect is our money is grant money. So there's no debt related to an MCC project. It's really a partnership with the United States. And it's a stamp of approval by the United States government that this is a government that's going in the right direction. It's doing good things for its people. And we have confidence that that will continue. Therefore, we're willing to help create this enabling environment to grow your economy. And that's a very desirable thing. So countries want that because it helps them bring in other partners. It helps them bring in more development. It helps them bring in private capital. It helps benefit their people in ways that they don't have the capacity independently to do. And so there is sort of a race to become eligible and work with MCC. And a great example of that is Cote d'Ivoire. 
Cote d'Ivoire, President Ouattara was elected in 2010. And at the time, they met four of 20 of our criteria. But he set up immediately in his administration a department to address MCC's criteria so that they could work with us. And over the course of five years, they met and exceeded the number of criteria to become eligible, became eligible. They were selected by our board, and it's been a good partnership in developing it. And like I said, we just entered into four. So it's that sort of effect of incentivizing governments to move towards democratic governance and open economies and investing in their people, including fully including women in their economy is what we try to incentivize. Let's talk about what's the WGDP initiative and how's the MCC fit into it? The WGDP initiative, WGDP stands for Women's Global Development and Prosperity. It's a initiative, it's a whole government approach to unlocking the potential of women's engagement in the economy that's led by the White House and was begun by President Trump. It's overseen and spearheaded by senior advisor to the president, Ivanka Trump. And she herself has done quite a bit to catalyze change in countries related to this issue. And whether it's legal reforms having to do with women's land ownership or marital rights or increasing involvement in the economy, they've done a great job. We're proud to be a part of it. And MCC has had this focus for a very long time. We have a gender in the economy indicator on our scorecard. We have a gender and social inclusion unit that's built into our Department of Compact Operations. So as we're developing these projects, we have a lens to make sure that we are maximizing our impact on women's empowerment and engagement. Because the bottom line is we're building sustainable economies. If 50% of the economy is not participating, you don't have much there. You were in Cote d'Ivoire and you talked about part of the program included women who were graduating, if I recall correctly, right? In Malawi. In, in Malawi. So first in Cote d'Ivoire, we'll be building secondary education institutions and the TVET training with a focus on women's engagement. So that's going to be happening. In Malawi, the state utility, ESCOM, as part of our compact, now has a gender inclusion unit within the utility. And so as part of that, they sponsored an MCC-sponsored education and scholarships. And I was chatting with a couple of young women who were engineers who came through that scholarship program, won engineering or earned engineering degrees, and they were thrilled to be representing themselves as engineers. But I said, well, what are you going to do with your degrees now? And they said, we want to come back We're coming back to Malawi, and we're going to work on making the second compact that we're in development with successful. And so I just think that's a great example. They're faces of leadership for women that they come into contact with every single day, and that's what we're really trying to empower and build out. Talk about, if I say the word China and MCC, just word associate, I'm just, what's your reaction if I say China? Well, in this context, we're really opposites. MCC is a model of self-determination of accountability, of sustainability and country-led ownership of a project. It's making sure that it's open and transparent, that there are eyes on it, that there's civil society buy-in. And part of our projects is for the host government to involve and engage public, private sector, and civil society people who are all going to be stakeholders who are going to be affected by these projects. Because if you don't have that and you just throw up a bridge, that's not going to be a sustainable project. We also bring to the table 
the economic analysis to make sure that this is a sustainable project. And sometimes that involves us reforming taxation system or building a maintenance fund into the system or what have you. China's development approach does none of that. It is a debt-driven approach that is not necessarily based on the priority needs of a country or having the most beneficial impact on the country. There's certainly no gender or environmental lens that they bring to any of this. It's sole source bidding. It's state-owned Chinese enterprises only come into these projects. And the country is often left with a project that is not sustainable that they can't pay for and frequently is collateralized by the state-owned enterprise for China. And so the port in Sri Lanka is a great example of that. I think every that. member of the U.S. Senate yeah. knows about the port in Sri Lanka. They would say that they're aware of it and they're aware that there was a lot of fine print on those loans and that the 99-year lease seems to rhyme with the 99-year lease that the Brits had on Hong Kong and that maybe somebody's working out their neocolonial issues. Sure, and that's a great point on the fine print of the loan. The fine print is just for the people who have seen the loan. There aren't a lot of eyes that go on on that loan. So no one really knows what's in it except for a very small number of people. MCC is the exact opposite of that. And the way the United States does development is the exact opposite. It's open. It's transparent. Everybody knows what the deal is. Everyone knows what the expectations are. Like I say, MCC is a grant operation. So we're not even talking about a debt issue. We're there in partnership. We're trying to build a growing economy and future trading partners, future allies. We're trying to consolidate democratic gains. We're there to, like I say, to be a partner. I think the constraints to growth analysis has been one of the important innovations. Some of it's been about the open source of data. You have 20 different sources of information that's open to the world. It's not like you go into a back room and kind of cook up, well, I'm going to support country X or country Y. It's data-driven. But the other thing that you've done is this issue of constraints to growth. Talk about that. What is that? Sure. Well, the constraints to growth, when a country's become eligible and we begin working with a country, we are trying to identify the major constraints on their economic development. And so our team of economists and analysts work with the partner country team, and this is talking to, like I say, civil society, public and private sector partners, talking to the government, doing economic analysis on how the country is operating to determine what those key constraints are. And then once we have identified and agreed upon those with the partner country, we engage in drilling down sort of objectively on ways to address that. And that's the next phase of that is called the root cause analysis. But this is all public. So for example, we're beginning a second project with a second compact with Malawi, and we just finished the constraints on economic growth for that compact. And those constraints are the high cost of farm-to-market roads, there's the macroeconomic environment, and there's access to land and land reform, particularly for women. And so within those three categories, we know and the government of Malawi knows and agree that these are the priority needs The Uh, things that need fixing. The things that need fixing. And then we're now going to proceed and drill down on those projects. But we're in partnership and we're working in tandem. This isn't us showing up or some government official saying, gee, I'd really like this project. I'd like this bridge to nowhere, please. We're anti-bridge to nowheres. That's correct. (laughs) You have more compacts than ever before. Can you talk about some of the successful compacts that you've finished? For background, we've done, in the course of the 15 years, we've done 37 compacts in 29 countries to the tune of $14 billion in grant money with approximately 190 to 200 million beneficiaries. 
we're currently engaged in 16 compacts and we're in 22 countries with the remainder being threshold programs. Threshold being sort of like the pre, the run up to helping countries get ready to become compact eligible. That's right. Threshold programs are smaller programs, typically to the tune of $50 million or so for countries that don't quite meet the scorecard criteria, but we think are moving in a good direction and our board believes are moving in a good direction. Typically, those programs focus on institutional reform and with a real focus on corruption. And I should say that's part of MCC's, whether it's compact or threshold program or analyses, corruption is a huge focus. It's called a hard hurdle. If you don't clear that hurdle to begin with, we're not going to work with you, period. And so that's always an ongoing conversation and a real focus. We just had a closeout in Georgia that was significant with a great education program with a huge women's empowerment component of that. We're in the midst of a variety of compacts in West Africa in particular that are having huge benefits in the power sector and the transportation sector. Malawi just wrapped up a compact about a year ago having to do with power and irrigation and farming. And so part of what I was doing there in Malawi was making sure that the implementation on the first compact is complete because we're starting the second compact. And these are fantastic projects that are tangible and concrete and are making a real difference. And you can tell that by being there. And I would commend anyone traveling to any of these countries, you know, hopefully we'll get a sense of what a big deal these projects are for our partner countries. We're really welcomed. When you go to these countries, they are really happy to have you, right? They're thrilled to have us and to be working with us. And it's seen as a stamp of approval from the United States that this is a country going in a good direction. President Ouattara in Cote d'Ivoire, for example, at our event, he was very engaged, very appreciative, and wanted to make sure that the credit went to his ministers and to their entire delegation for the work that had gone in to achieving the sort of reforms necessary to become eligible. And I think that's true of all our partner countries. One of the other things I wanted to raise was the issue of you have open bidding at the same time, I'm sure you'd like to see more American companies participate. We do have open bidding, and we're trying to achieve the best value for money for all these projects. That's part of the deal. But I would like to see, I mean, we are, after all, an American agency. Yep. I would love to see more American companies bid. Where they bid, they tend to win, but they don't bid a whole lot. And just in Malawi alone, we have dredges from Ellicott Dredge in Baltimore. Caterpillar equipment is on virtually all the sites. Uh, harvesters from a company in Wisconsin. General Electric is there doing training and help build the power center. And I think that's exciting. American business brings with it the same sort of openness and transparency. It builds in already that sort of gender and an environmental lens that we're looking for and that we build into our compacts. So there's a lot that's pre-baked when an American company gets engaged. And that knowledge transfer that MCC affords as part of our partnership and how to do a project and how to bid things out and how to do economic analysis to make sure it's sustainable, they bring that with them. So yes, I would like to dial up the level of U.S. private sector engagement. Well, Sean, 
congratulations. Thank you. Uh, you're always welcome here, and thanks for coming over. And we uh, are so happy to have a, uh, a leader like you that's been Senate confirmed in this role. It's an important task. Well, I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. You guys do a fantastic job and have an outsized influence on U.S. foreign policy. So I hope to keep hearing from you and stay engaged. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 